Welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I'm going to do my very own version of a winning the job episode. We're going to talk about my experience preparing for and auditioning for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Spoiler alert, I didn't advance out of the first round. I recognize one audition in the grand scheme of things is not really that big of a deal, but I thought since I had put so much of my preparation out there for people to observe and to watch and to listen to, I thought that some sort of conclusion to that kind of preparation would be nice to have. So if you don't usually stick around to the end of the episodes, you should definitely do that on this one. I'm going to put the recording of the round I played at the audition at the end of the episode. The title of this episode is, I Didn't Win and That's Okay. At this point in my career, I've taken a lot of auditions. In a previous episode, I chronicled all of the auditions I've taken leading up to winning the job in Alabama. Since that point though, I have taken five more auditions. Principal trumpet in Milwaukee, principal trumpet in Cincinnati, principal trumpet in Pittsburgh, and then principal trumpet of the Chicago Symphony two times. In every one of those auditions, I haven't advanced out of the prelims. I certainly played well, but there's something that was missing. It's absolutely frustrating, and it's even more confusing. I'm playing better now than I ever have in my life, but how was I doing better at auditions seven to eight years ago? I decided for this audition, I was going to start over. I wanted to try something completely different that would be more organized and more thoughtful than any other audition prep that I've ever done. I decided I wanted to do a 10-week audition prep. The list for Chicago was huge. There were some specific excerpts, but a lot of the list was Bruckner 4, Bruckner 7, Mahler 3, Mahler 5, Mahler 7, and so on. So in an effort to be organized, I thought I would take my best guess at what might be from those pieces so I could get an official count of the number of excerpts I would have to learn. In the end, I counted 48 excerpts, which I would say is a pretty conservative number. Because there were so many pieces to work on, I decided I would split those 48 excerpts over six days, practicing eight excerpts per day. This meant that I would be practicing each excerpt one time per week, which is very different from how I had approached it in the past. The order would be very different every week to allow for some variety in my playing. After that, the next thing to figure out was what speed I wanted to practice them at. I liked the idea that powerlifters follow of starting where they can do things perfectly and then progressing from there, so I decided to follow that kind of model. I first needed to find out what tempo I wanted each excerpt to go, we'll call this the goal tempo, and then the first six weeks of the program were all linear progression. 
Week one, all the excerpts were played two times at 50% tempo. Week two, all the excerpts were played two times at 55% tempo, and so on until week six, where all the excerpts were played at 75% of the goal tempo. I knew based on Mark Inouye's audition prep, Mark is the principal trumpet in the San Francisco Symphony, as well as powerlifting programming that I would need to enter a peaking phase at some point where my practice would shift towards running lists because that's what you need to be able to do in an audition, play a list. So week seven was to run three lists a day at 80% of the goal tempo. Week eight was three lists a day at 85% tempo. Week nine was two lists at 90%. And week 10, the final week, was running one list a day at 95%. Then, logically speaking, the next week would be running one list at 100% tempo, which is when the audition would happen. The whole idea behind this program was to be ready on the day of the audition to play my best. Not the week before, not the day after, but on the day that I needed it. By always playing at sub-maximal tempos, it's much easier to make sure that we are always doing things perfectly so that when we get to the audition, we only know how to play the excerpts the way we want them to go. It's so ingrained that we cannot play it incorrectly. The first six weeks of my prep were awesome. I loved having the structure and it felt totally doable. I was spending about 30 or 40 minutes each day on average practicing the excerpts and I felt like I was getting better each week. I decided towards the end of the six week block to change the seventh week to a testing week. In this week, I would play all of the excerpts at 100% tempo and record them to see what else I needed to work on. I think this is a great way to do it because if there are things that you need to fix, you have three weeks to work them out instead of recording yourself the week before, finding problems, and then realizing you don't really have any time to fix anything. During this week, I was fortunate enough to set up a few sessions playing for Barbara Butler and Charlie Geyer at Rice University, and this is when everything went haywire in my prep. I was so excited to play for Barbara and Charlie for this audition. I had played for them before and I've always received great comments, but this time, if I'm being honest, I really hoped I would play so well because of this new prep I was trying that they would say, wow, Ryan, you sound so much better than the last time I heard you. What have you been doing? (laughs) Not only would this just never happen, but it's basically the opposite of what did happen. I played around for them, and almost every single comment they would give me was, your pitch, your sound, and your time are all really great, but I'm not really feeling the musical commitment. It was interesting to hear because that's kind of what my prep was. I would spend six weeks working out the small details, then four weeks getting the big picture, essentially separating the technical and the musical parts of the preparation. Well... I'm now convinced that that was not the best way to go about doing things. I was playing great, sure, but it just wasn't me. It was like a safe version of me. 
It was a version of me that was asking for permission. I didn't really want to go for it and make statements because I wasn't sure if I would be making the right statements. I'm not sure if anybody else can identify with that, but once that dawned on me, I could not stop thinking about it. During my podcast episode with her, Barbara and I covered the topic of who teaches the teachers. I won't speak about it here because it's just so well discussed in her episode, but what I took from that conversation really changed me. I realized I was playing these excerpts musically the way I was coached when I was 21. I had never reassessed how I should or even how I could play them based on how much better I had gotten at the instrument. But how do I do that? How do I teach myself how to play more musically without a coach helping me? When I got back from Houston, that's where I spent the majority of my prep work. I abandoned my initial prep program in favor of running lists and recording them and then listening back for how musically committed I was. I began to feel like I was incredibly behind, wishing I had incorporated this part of the process in much sooner than I did. My plan for making my musicianship better was to make a document with all of the list of the excerpts. From there, I would find a recording and I would listen to it. I would write down the name of the conductor and the name of the group I listened to, followed by the things that I thought were inspiring about the recording, or maybe just the character of the excerpt, or maybe just as simple as something the way the trumpet player did that I liked. I did this with every excerpt and I tried to listen to many different recordings, but generally speaking, I ended up just having a few favorites and I listened to those most of the time. After that, each time I listened to a recording, I would listen for something different. Maybe the first time it would be overall feel, the second time would be for phrasing, the third time I might focus in on the articulation, and then maybe the fourth time I might look on with a score but watch a different part so I could know who I was playing with. I wanted to know these excerpts so deeply that they were basically a part of me. I'll tell a quick story to really paint this picture. I was listening to recordings of Bruckner 7 and I found one with Sergio Celibadacci. I remembered a friend of mine from years ago telling me his recordings of Bruckner are so amazing, so I decided to check one of them out on YouTube. As I was listening, I became enraptured by this recording. So much so, I ended up listening to the whole first movement, way past the excerpt that I was initially going to listen to. I was so moved by this recording that I actually started crying. I'll leave a link in the blog post about this episode to it if you wanna check it out. I realized for a long time, I had lost the feeling of being inspired by music. When you're in school and you're surrounded by people who are grinding hard to be successful, you're often talking about how good one recording sounds, or maybe you're talking about how awesome you thought somebody sounded playing in a studio class. It can feel so positive and you can really start to believe in the power of what music can do. When you leave school though, and you're in the real world, I guess if you wanna call it that, oftentimes we're not surrounded by this positivity. Music can become our job, and then we treat it like that. This recording in that moment was able to remind me how ridiculously moving music of that caliber can be, and that we owe it to ourselves, the music, and the audience to give everything we have to create that kind of atmosphere. 
It's exhausting, but I think it's so worth it. For me, the mental part of the preparation became by far the most difficult part to tackle. When I was younger, it was much more simple. I didn't have a job, I had virtually no responsibilities, so I could just go to an audition and say, I want this, and it was that easy. But it feels more difficult for me now. Of course, we can all look at a job like Principal Trumpet in the Chicago Symphony and say, who wouldn't want that? But I really feel that there are some factors for me to consider. In Alabama, both my wife and I have great jobs as principals in our orchestra. Our kids are in a great school. The house we were able to buy is perfect for our family. I have time to podcast and live stream and do other projects. There are just many reasons why the job I have is a great fit for me and my family. Now, I don't know what the job in Chicago is like, so it's hard to speak in certain terms, but I imagine the pressure and the stress is quite high. A question I've asked myself often is, do I even want that kind of pressure? And I think it's important to ask myself that. They work a lot and they have such a huge tradition to carry on. Am I ready for that? Am I ready for that kind of leadership? In the end, I realized that I do think I am. Much of what I learned from asking those questions has actually affected the way that I think about my current job now. I've never had an audition prep teach me so many things that weren't related to the audition itself as my most recent prep. Another interesting thing I realized is I could feel my 18-year-old self chiming in and saying, Chicago is your dream job. This is your only chance don't blow it or you'll never get another shot. I imagine many people can relate to that voice in your head that says, don't blow it, you'll never get another shot. But realistically, we can't control the outcome of these auditions. In the end, I didn't advance. I played the best of what I had. I tried to make as much music as I could and I tried to inspire the committee with the stories that I tried to tell and it wasn't enough to advance. In a time like this, I find people are incredibly supportive. They'll say, you sound great. Keep trying, you'll get something eventually. And I'm so thankful for that support. But I also need to believe that myself. And I think that's where people can easily get discouraged. They hear people supporting them and telling them, great job, you sound great, hang in there, but they don't actually believe it themselves. The sting of rejection eats away a little bit of you every time and can lead you to believing you are not good enough, especially when you try as hard as you can. That's the part of this that's the hardest to deal with. I gave it everything. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't really matter. But those Linkin Park lyrics aren't 100% true. There are a lot of great players who worked really hard for this audition. Just because I feel like I gave it my all does not mean that I deserve to win. All we can do is show up. I did my part, I prepared, and I did my best. 
I'm not in control of the outcome and I shouldn't be in control of the outcome. None of us really know what's best for us. We think we do, but we have no idea where our lives are supposed to go. Maybe I'm supposed to be in Alabama for some reason. Maybe I'm supposed to win a different job. Maybe I'm supposed to do something completely different with my life. Who knows? So if we aren't in control of the outcome, we need to then reframe why we even audition in the first place. Yes, we want to win a job, but let's set that aside for a moment. This can apply to recitals, juries, competitions, or just anything that can be scary and nerve-wracking. Instead of just focusing on trying to sound good, let's try to use the process to learn and to be better. If we make the outcome of the event secondary to the personal growth you can achieve, then you'll always be able to walk away with a victory. In my podcast episode with Barbara, she also said that if you never try as hard as you can, you never actually fail. This hits home in a big way. If you can walk away saying, well, I didn't win, but I didn't really try as hard as I could, then you always have an out. You don't have to accept responsibility and you don't have to face that in that moment, it didn't work out. I'm a believer now that you have to dive all in if you're really going to learn some life-changing stuff. And make no mistake, putting yourself in stressful situations and digging in with everything you have will teach you a lot about yourself. My audition prep succeeded as far as I'm concerned. No, I didn't advance or win the job, but as you'll hear, I played well. I'm very proud of the work that I did, and I'm proud of the end result. Do I think there's room for improvement in my audition prep program? Absolutely, I do. But the only way I learned that was by going all in and being open to learning about the weaknesses of the program and also my own personal weaknesses. I would encourage anyone listening to examine themselves and their practice and ask, have I worked as hard as I possibly can? Am I afraid to work as hard as I can? What if I work as hard as I possibly can and my best isn't good enough? These are things that everyone deals with. Maybe everyone doesn't talk about it, but by listening to this, you know of at least one person who tried as hard as they could and failed. But instead of calling it failure, I choose to learn and to continue growing. I think that's going to be all for this episode. Keep listening to hear my preliminary round from the Chicago Symphony audition that I took. If you enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed other episodes on the podcast, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes and leaving a rating and even a review if you feel like it, I would really appreciate it. I would like to thank Brett Bellamy for writing the music for this episode. I actually charged him with trying to fit music to the mood of the episode, and I feel he did a really great job. I also want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode and making it sound so great. And finally, I would like to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.
Thank <laughs> you.